Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Wow, look at that. On the piano, Mr. <laughs> Ryan J. Nelson in the booth. Hello, and welcome to a retro Anatomy of a Movie. I am Christian Blatt, joined by the lovely Rachel Goodman. Hey, I am really excited to be here and to talk about Snowpiercer. Yeah, it uh, obviously we chose this film because of the Academy Award nominations, uh, and in some cases, lack thereof, for yeah. Bong Joon-ho. I was nominated, so uh, Parasite was nominated yeah. for Best Film. And not only that, but we just had the SAG Awards this right. past weekend, and the ensemble won for best performance. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, it's uh, it's right there in the zeitgeist. And I had heard of this mil- this film, but since we're talking about it here, it means that we hadn't seen it. I had no idea what it was about. I did like when I clicked on Netflix. I did see what the summary was. Uh, if it wasn't for that summary, though, I would have started it and been like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, you know. So I was just like, okay, it's a cool premise. How much did you know about this movie before you started watching it? Um, I knew that Bong Joon Ho was the director. I knew that Chris Evans was the star. I only I didn't even watch a trailer for Snowpiercer. No, I just, yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I don't remember seeing one. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. It could be, but um, I mean, 2013 was a long time yeah. ago at this point, but. Uh, I, I just remember that that's it. Those are the only two things I really knew. Let me check in with our producer in the booth, Ryan. You, of course, did know this film because you pointed out to us that you owned it. Oh, yes. How was this film on your radar where, where you just uh, – well, how did you know about this film? I mean, we had heard of it. We just didn't watch it. Yes. Well, again, Ryan, uh, senior producer here at Popcorn Talk. Um, I was a big fan of this film. I heard about it coming out because around 2013, that's when I was kind of going to a big uh, deep dive with movies. And uh, that's actually the first time I ever became aware of who Bong Joon Ho even sure. was. Yeah. So this was the first film I saw of his. And then I went back and I actually watched a few of his others. But I knew he was big in Korean cinema. And, and yeah. it was weird to think that, hey, there's a Korean uh, a filmmaker making an American film. So I became really attracted to the idea. Also, Chris Evans, I only knew him from Captain America and his other superhero movies. I wanted to see him in a different role. And then we got that in this. And it didn't disappoint. I bought it immediately. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Let's uh, you know, give a shout out to uh, buying physical media and actually owning films and, and having them on a shelf. I actually have it on uh, digital HD, but yes. Okay. So you know. <laughs> right. I remember that. So you bought it that way. Oh, I still have it. You know. Look, I like, to, I like to look at them sometimes. Yeah. Well, but you see, at least you bought it. You know, but A lot of times people assume that these movies are going to stay on the streaming service that they find them on. And then it's like, hey, where, where did those go? And I think it's interesting, too, kind of speaking on, Ryan, how you were saying you, you knew about the director already. He Bong Joon Ho had at Ho had actually um, he had a cup he had some very successful hits by 2013 already right. especially for you know anyone living in Korea to, they he was a known director so but you mentioned uh, specifically a film called Mother right Mother was right. from 2009 2006. Oh, 2009 okay. 2006 was the host oh yeah um, right which I think which uh, I did see by the way yeah and I do remember that movie and that was sort of. That was this, everybody was talking about, like, oh, it's so crazy. There's this movie. This is a Korean movie. You have to check it out. And so I did see it. 
And somehow, I, I don't know, I, 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 I'm going to blame the media for it, but I wasn't aware of what he was up to after that. You know, I, I didn't do the deep dive. I didn't do my homework like Ryan did. Well, it's interesting, too, because the host had two of the same actors that ended up in Snowpiercer. Right. Um, the actor uh, Song Kang-ho, who's also in Parasite, he was in The Host, and um, also Yona, who plays his daughter in Snowpiercer, right. um, Go Ah Sung, she was in The Host as well. So they were both in Snowpiercer so, and the host. Song Kang-ho is basically uh, Bong Joon-ho's uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, like yeah. he is for Quentin Tarantino. Or it's like, like, I'm just going to put you in everything. Exactly. Or like but, Martin Scorsese's, he, um, yeah. Wow. His, his little cast <laughs> his, like, of characters. three or yeah. four people. Yeah. And look, I think it's great because, first of all, they're great. Everybody's great in this yeah. movie. I think uh, you have some great performances from children, you know, and that that's always a roll of the dice, you know. As as I have two children, uh, just trying to get them to do anything. I can't <laughs> imagine trying to give them stage directions. And uh, no, 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 this time with feeling, you know. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the background of the movie and how it was received. Obviously, we had both heard of it, so we knew that there was at least some buzz of this movie, but we didn't know much. Uh, it is uh, based on a French graphic novel, and my French is impeccable. <laughs> so uh, why are you laughing? I want to hear this. <laughs> you you want to try saying say, it? <laughs> uh, la transprocingere. <laughs> Which did not sound like the way I was. In my head, it sounded like concierge. But, uh, yeah, so and I, I assume that that's uh, Snowpiercer. Uh, so I, I think that that's always kind of interesting. And then keeping the multinational theme, uh, it was filmed in the Czech Republic, so it's a South Korean-Czech co-production. Uh, and that's interesting for a movie that is 80% in English. Yeah. Is that, you know, it's not really an American production. You know, obviously, the, when it comes to distribution and, and all that stuff, uh, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, for for what we uh, can say about Harvey Weinstein now is a lot different than we talk about his business acumen and, and the knowledge of which films to acquire. And this was planned to be a very small release sort of a film. And uh, usually when uh, Harvey got, got behind a movie, it uh, made a lot of money, gets nominated for awards, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, and the, the greatest little tidbit that I saw about it was that it was produced on a budget of $40 million, which to this day, the most expensive Korean budget ever for a film is $40 million. And I am... That is a lot of money. I'm not yeah. saying that's not a lot of money. But, I mean, when you think of the movies that we see uh, here in the U.S., I, I'm pretty sure the the, the catering budget is, is $40 million. Well, I, I saw the line, the budget. I, I can't talk about a lot of it. But I saw the every line in the Star Trek Into Darkness budget. And I was like, what are they, what are they spending? Well, and on top of that, too, you have – they included star cast. So yeah. Chris Evans alone – Probably right. was you know a good chunk of money to hire yeah, him for I, I, this. Look, you're going to figure that these are all people who took a took a pay cut, you know, yeah. to do a, a film that they thought like was unique and it's interesting. And you know, let's give credit to this movie. It, it, yes, it's adapted from a, a, a prior work, but it's a it's a written work, and it's a very inventive idea. Yeah, you and, know, and it's interesting too because now they've actually gone on to they had the graphic novel in French. Now yeah. they have it in English, and they've um, kind of adapted it after the movie um oh, so it feel, there's like a couple of them now at least so well, but it's interesting yeah and when i saw what the concept was I, I think that's great and you know we sort of get that 
voiceover at the beginning of the film where they start talking about the you know it's like well you know we're going to uh cool the global temperature and look when you think about the fact that we're the human race you just know that we're going to find a way to mess that up you know <laughs> like we're going to cool everything down whoops cooled down <laughs> a little too much didn't we and now we're dead and now and <laughs> honestly that's so us that's so that you know, and that's not an American thing. That's no, that's a, that's uh, us as humans. You know, we just can't do anything right. The thing I thought was hilarious too in that opening sequence, as they're kind of ex- like showing us what happened. Yeah, we see a car that says it has like a little thing hanging, like like I don't know what you call it, but something hanging from the um, you know rearview mirror. Yeah, basically saying save the planet, but yeah. it's all frozen over. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. Yeah, well, it's very funny. It's like yeah, if, if only they'd listened. Yeah. You know? Somebody should have listened. Uh, but um, so if the idea ever comes about to uh, lower our global temperature to combat global warming, <laughs> uh, I, I, will, I will see what I can do about uh, getting on one of those uh, one of those Richard Branson uh, rockets into space because it's not going to end well. You know, <laughs> this was just a logical conclusion. But uh, as. As we sort of get to – we set up the situation and we get to know the characters, what are you thinking about this movie just as, as you're watching it? You know, just some of your some of your initial thoughts. I was – okay, so because of how I went into this, because I am a huge fan of uh, Bong Joon-ho at this sure. point, I was looking at it from a filmmaker's perspective. And so the first thing I noticed is that they bring us into this world. They show us what's going on without really directly telling us. There's no character really that just comes out and says it in those opening moments. You just kind of have to figure, okay, this is what happened. And they they really utilize like news archives to kind of fill in the blanks so that we weren't completely confused. Yeah. And then when we met Curtis, um, Chris Evanson's character, the the first thing we get is that okay, they they're like we get the premise from the very second we meet him. That they, it's these people who, you know, have the crappy end of the stick. They're in the final, you know, car and they are about to start an uprising. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing obviously, you know, we learn a lot about Curtis's character as the movie goes along, especially, you know, the, the third act. We learn a little bit about his past. But, as as a leader and a you know sort of a, a never say die you know no quit sort of a thing, it's like oh it's nice to see him playing someone other than Captain America, but he's kind of Captain America in this. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's there's no stopping him as far you know I... just that level of determination and and sure he he doubts you know whether he's the right person or any of that, but it's like he won't admit that he's a leader, but it's very clear to everyone else that he is. So I, okay. I agree with you in the sense that I think he's a leader, but I also didn't feel like he was Captain America because, so my thing is that one of the things I loved about Curtis is that he had been part of, I don't want to say problem lightly because it's not like the people were a problem, but it was part of this idea that if you were put in a bad situation, you're going to do corrupt things too, including eating babies. And that was one of the things that we end up finding out with Curtis is that not only was he part of eating the weak, he would actually kill people in order to eat them or to eat their child or to, you know, just to have a meal. And so, and that's one of the things is that we get this conflict in him, you know, obviously near the end, but like to me, it really, it really, you know, fl- like made this character very multi-dimensional 
And I appreciated that we didn't just get a typical hero. This is a hero who, in his mind, he was not the hero because right. he was flawed from the beginning. And they hint at it, too, especially with Gilliam saying, you know, you're not the same person anymore. So yeah. it's been hinted at. Yeah, um, no, And I absolutely. appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, talk about uh, some of the uh, rest of the, cl- the cast. You mentioned Gilliam. Uh, very nice to see the war doctor here. Uh, John yeah. Hurt, who, of course, has a very lengthy uh, uh, IMDb page. But uh, I immediately was excited. Like, oh, my God, it's war doctor from doctor Who. and and they said um when i was looking this up they the reason why john hurt was cast was because uh bong joon ho had seen him in the elephant man okay and knew from then he wanted to put him in something yeah <laughs> so i found that interesting too to see him there yeah and i i think that uh you know he is sort of that great you know you have these sort of characters this this, you know, somebody that everyone looks up to but isn't really on the ground, you know? I mean, whether uh, all of my references tend to be uh, in, in nerd stuff, but it's sort of like, you know, you're, you're Professor Xavier in the X-Men, you know? You're, you're Captain who stays on the bridge, you know, uh, Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, now I'm just sticking to bald guys played by Patrick Stewart. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, he's this guy. It's like, oh, this guy's great, but he kind of has to hang back, you yeah. know? And yeah. uh, he, we find out why, but, you know, he has uh, lost limbs, and uh, I, I, I thought that uh, it was a great dynamic, you know, to have, obviously, when somebody like Curtis doubts himself quite so much, uh, I think having the advantage of a, you know, someone that you can turn to, you know, uh, I, I think that's good. What did you think about their interactions? Um, I loved I loved that the way that the dialogue was written between Gilliam and Curtis, we didn't quite get. Curtis's background, and we didn't quite get Gilliam's background either. Yeah, especially with Edgar thrown into the mix. Um, you know, Curtis's friend. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, at first we don't know this backstory. We don't know yeah. about Edgar's mother, but just yeah, knowing... yeah, because we all have that friend that we killed their mother and oh, thought yeah. about eating them. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I've got a couple of friends that I considered eating at some point, but then was stopped because the babies yeah. taste better. Well, that's, that's, that's what I'm told. That's what we're told yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Um, I I appreciated. I I appreciated that um, Curtis had somebody to kind of live for too. That he had his father figure as well as this little brother figure who he was protecting. Um, and it was just I, I kind of figured Edgar was going to die at some point though because he seemed like even though he didn't have a red shirt, <laughs> oh, yeah. he seemed like <laughs> okay he's here but he's not going to make the he's not going to make the trip and like it became very obvious to me too that yeah. the three of them that this world in the back you know of the train that most of the people we were meeting were going to die yeah I don't, I don't want to say that I was convinced he was going to die but every time he was on screen I, I heard that little countdown clock from 60 minutes a little <laughs> I'm like, mm, like it's a little bit longer uh jamie bell is edgar i think he yeah. did a great job i i think uh that was great to see some very familiar faces uh in here uh i you, you know uh who is better yet more unusual than tilda swinton and what a great yeah. role for her because it, you know obviously you got to figure Everybody who's been on this train for 17 years, you know, you, you're going to – people handle it in different ways. And obviously when you're at the front of the train, it's a little easier. But you're a little off because and, you've you've been on a train for 17 years. And that's what I loved so much about this is that every character had very, very 
um, had quirky elements to how they were, especially the further up we got. Um, And it just goes to show that even the people who did have the luckier position on the train, that they still weren't without their issues as well, um, and that the entire system was failing, regardless of where you were on that train. And that's, that's what I love so much about watching this, is this element of you are in, you're stuck, on a train in a system that is not, you know, it's going to fail at some point, but yeah. you're you're trapped and there's no way to really get out of it no matter where you are. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that, you know, there are elements to this story that, you know, you, you, you've certainly seen before, you know, I mean, when you just look to the 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 real life, which of course we saw in a film, but, you know, the uh, sinking of the Titanic, yeah. uh, obviously it's like women and children first, but also the really rich guys. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, well, not exactly women and children first. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, we're going to take care of the and, important people. And, oh, yeah, you know, we don't have enough boats. So, sorry. You know, so uh, I think to see that, th- you know, and, and as Ed Harris's uh, character points out, it, it's all by design. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a great job of foreshadowing that explanation, you know, when they go and there's the aquarium and they explain that it's a closed ecosystem and it has, you know, for every one new thing you have to take one thing out and you know they only have sushi twice a year which I, I can't even imagine by the way being any of those people from the tail section of the train and sitting down and being served sushi my worry was they put the wasabi in a in a regular you know chunk next yeah. to the actual fish and what i thought was going to happen was one of two things i thought that mason that she knew that they were going to eat the fish and get sick Right. Because they had never had it before and they were so used to that, you know, protein bar, aka the cockroaches. Oh. Yeah. I, I, so I, of course, just, uh, I went soiling green with that and I'm like, oh, those protein bars mm-hmm. are other people. That's uh, what know. I assume too. But, uh, so I guess as Curtis's revelation tells us, he would have enjoyed that. You know, it's like, oh, people do taste good, I guess. But, uh, so yeah, I wasn't at all surprised that it was cockroaches. Uh, well, I guess it was a little bit, but I knew it was gonna, I knew that there was a story behind what those things were and just how completely unappetizing they looked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, if I had been thinking, I could have, uh, I could have made a jello that looked like that and we could have had it here on the table with us. But, um, do you know they actually, when I was looking this up, they went over what it really was they used? Oh, I, I'd love to hear about it that. It was apparently, it was made from seaweed. Mm hmm. Some kind of tangle, sugar, and gelatin. It probably <laughs> so, didn't taste like no. cockroach. I'm gonna guess. No, yeah, maybe probably a little tasted better. All right, yeah, yeah. yeah, but just a little. Poor Timmy. <laughs> uh, and uh, we have a obviously a great performance from uh, Octavia Spencer as Tanya. You know, I think that this is good. I mean, a lot of times you don't get to see her engage in a lot of action, you know, although I didn't see that uh, semi-horror movie called Mom where I guess she killed a bunch of teenagers in her basement or something, just judging from the trailer. So, in general, I haven't seen her in an action role. And uh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was very cool to see, and you can always identify with the plight, or at least I can, identify with the plight of someone separated from their child. I think that's always great to have central in the story. Uh, and then we also got that from 
Ewan Bremner's character, who Ewan Bremner is not somebody you see all the time, but he was in Wonder Woman, and I first found him and fell in love with him as an actor as Spud in Train Spotting, and uh, he's a great actor. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if he just works more in for you know overseas films, but uh, I was very excited to see him in this movie. And one of the things he had said, Ewan Bremner, um, so he of course plays Andrew, um, the unfortunate soul who ends up getting shot in the head. Event. Yeah. yeah. Um, right in the, I think it was in the coach where they were. Having having the lessons um, with the teacher. Um, yes. But so his big thing was, you know, of course he was playing, he was playing a father separated from his child. And he said that he watched Mother, another Bong Joon-ho movie, specifically so that he could kind of get the energy from right. that to bring toward this role. Um, and his performance was amazing. I can't even imagine um, one. So like my big question, and this has to do with Andrew's character, was when, you know, we had that big scene with Mason kind of near the beginning where we saw what happened when somebody put their body part outside of the window. And I remember thinking, okay, so that's what happens. You, you have X amount of minutes and then your body, your, your limb kind of freezes off. But, and then at the end we get the whole, we get another reveal that kind of contradicts that, but kind of going back to this, I'm thinking it had a lot to do with the altitude and, um, you know, not to kind of, change what we're talking about No, no, here, but, but I mean, they, they, they check. It's like, okay, we need seven minutes at this altitude, so you yeah. get seven minutes for a speech. Yeah, I mean, they clearly, they knew where they were, they knew what it was going to take, and, you know, obviously it's all very well, you know, they've got it all figured out uh, up at the front section of the train, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just think it's interesting because his, kind of with his characters where we kind of, we get the reveal that it really, yeah, like, they tell us you can't go outside, but the reality is it was probably just from the altitude where the train was at that very moment. Right, exactly. You, yeah, as as we start to get the impression, and, and we'll talk about Nam in a moment, I mean, he has this idea of like, so it's cold outside, but it's not as cold as it used to be. And he, I guess, correctly assumes it's not as cold as they're telling you it is. You yeah. know, not everywhere. I yeah. mean, obviously, you know, if you're... If you're driving through the the Yukon in in Canada, (laughs) yeah. yeah, But then if you're on the train and it's Miami, it's cold because the whole world is cold, but it's going to be warmer to some extent. And we also don't know where exactly the tracks ran. We know that they would say that it would take an entire year to go around the circle. Yeah. We don't know where Wilford built his track, though. Right. Yeah, and, and we didn't really know. Like, the cities, to me, were kind of nondescript. And yeah. I don't know if maybe one of them, you know, was perhaps, a, you know, a, a view of a, of a recognizable South Korean city or something, you know. But it, it didn't look like Pyongyang to me either, and not that I've ever been there. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, it's great. And I think that's why Nam is such a great, important character, you know, despite the fact that he, you know, likes to hallucinate on explosive drugs. <laughs> Uh, I think it's great to have someone like that, you know, sort of in in the middle kind of driving the story. He's like, well, I'm doing it basically because I I want the drugs. But, of course, he has another agenda, which I think having that layer and having it revealed to us, I I think – obviously makes him much more interesting. What did you think of of Nam on the whole? He was one of my favorite characters. I always loved the flawed hero. Sure. And I think Curtis was just as flawed, but in very different ways. Um, With Nam, 
Uh, what I loved about him is that he was, one, the translator device and the fact that it wasn't working the way they expected it to. Yeah. And some of the time I felt like Curtis could just kind of understand what Nam was saying without yeah. even needing that translator. So I thought that was brilliant. Um, but then, two, uh, just the way that he was not very forthcoming with what he was thinking. And, like, he would – if, like – you know, obviously I've just watched the movie once. But sure. I'm thinking that if I go back and watch it a second time, there will be more hints that everything he says, though not direct and not, you know, giving anything away – was all a clue to what he was thinking and the reveal that we get at the end. Well, uh, Ryan, uh, let me ask you. I feel like you've seen the movie yes, uh, sir. Know, multiple times. Do you feel like they they sort of did that where, you know, literal translation of what Nam is saying into English kind of gives them one sense of answers, but watching it a second or third time, knowing that he really just wants to blow up that door... Uh, do you think that they did a good job being like, oh, wow, what he's saying might translate this way, but I think he might also be you know, speaking for himself what his goal is? It's very interesting. Uh, rewatching it, there's a lot of different things in terms of the journey that every character goes on in this film, and it speaks a lot in the structure. I do think, to answer your question, it is a little bit more apparent um, that he is he has an alternative agenda. I think that's that's even the case... They, they really show that early on. They really hint that early on when he comes out of the... Uh, isn't he in like a little cabin yeah. when he yeah. comes out? So, yeah, I do think upon rewatch, it is clear that there are alternative motives. However, one thing that is for sure is that the structure of the movie uh, in terms of going to each room, and it's just another spot. It's another uh, task or obstacle for each room they go in, and they all have different environments. It's so cool. Um, it really mirrors that of, like, a Willy Wonka, in that every room is different, and in that structure, you can go into the characters in Willy Wonka, each have alternative motives. You know, like, the TV guy has his own motive. Uh, Ruka wants, you know, she just wants the golden goose. Like, there's, there's different yeah. things, and I think if you kind of parallel these two movies... Uh, in terms of the character's motives, you're going to find a lot of similarities. And, you know, kind of going off of that, too, what I found interesting is that we started off at the back of the train with, you know, people who they had just picked up, who they considered the lower class, right? So then we move along, and as we move along it seems to be that we are kind of increasing in class. And then we get to the, you know, the the high society class. But then what I found the most fascinating is it kind of went back down because we went from high, what they would have considered high class society to all of a sudden, oh, here we're with the, you know, people who are doing chrono and, right. and you, the club scene. and You and get the, to the uh, hashtag rich kids of Instagram, basically, as yeah. you get to the front because they're the ones that were the most affluent. But they're probably the worst people, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, what their motivation is in life. And it almost felt like with different – so, like, you know, we had really – we had people who were struggling to survive at the back. In the front, we also had people struggling to survive, but in an entirely different way. Um, Instead of, you know, they don't have food, when we got to the front, it was more like, no, they are – it's like two different extremes and they're struggling emotionally because they can't handle everything that's happening to them in a different, like more of an intellectual way in an emotional way. 
want to shout out Yash in the chat. Wants uh, uh, is wondering if people prefer uh, Snowpiercer to uh, Parasite. He says uh, Snowpiercer was seared into his brain, and uh, also visually it's outstanding, which I completely agree. And uh, Chris Evans was so good; he's always good. Uh, all the acting in this movie is great. I, I think you have some great performances, and. I didn't know the cast list well enough to know who was playing Wilfred. So yeah. I I figured it was going to be a very recognizable, you know, Western as in, you know, American or British yeah. actor. And I, you know, the reveal that was Ed Harris, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, this seems kind of perfect. Um, to answer his question, yeah. too, about which movie we prefer, I think I personally like Parasite better okay. only because I thought that this movie was amazing and, you know, I hate to even compare them at all because this movie definitely stands up really well on its own. The reason I would argue that Parasite spoke more to me, though, is because we it was more about one single family and their struggles trying to kind of climb up a social ladder. So Right. I mean you're yeah. dealing with a lot of yeah. different people trying to uh make a similar climb. Uh but uh before we uh, get into some of the things about the film itself, uh give us your thoughts on uh, Ed Harris as as Wilford. Yeah. Um so I think my big thing is I'm still tr- debating in my head whether um whether his story about Gilliam was true or not. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. yeah. Ed Harris, as the actor playing Wilford, though, I thought was perfect. Yeah. Um, because he was very level-headed and, like, you never knew. Like, he doesn't seem like your typical, like, megalomaniac who, you know, is power-hungry. He just almost seems like a regular person in a way. Who Obviously, wears pajamas all day. Yeah. And the only other yeah. person that we ever knew who wore pajamas all day was Hugh Hefner. <laughs> you know? So yeah. I thought that was a nice touch because he's like, well, yeah. who, who am I getting dressed up for? Her? No. no. <laughs> but it was interesting because um, here's a guy like, he, you know, he's under the impression that the system is going to keep going the same way it always yeah. does and that there everything is always going to remain in balance and there's always going to be a certain amount of people and it's just going to keep going. Um, And the thing is that, you know, clearly what he doesn't recognize is that the system can be broken. Right, exactly. I think the desire of of Curtis and also, you know, Nam, who he was, I don't think, prepared for, you know, his his plan – I don't think he would imagine, like, why would Curtis not want this? This is, this is so much better. And he, and Curtis even says, everybody in the back would gladly trade places with you. And he's almost like, funny you mention that, because I want to trade places with you. And uh, sort of the realization, I guess, of the, you know, the, the, the kids working to, you know, actually clean the engine and, and all of that, I think helped him kind of realize, you know, because he clearly, I mean, it's it's obviously like, well, the rest of our lives, we're still going to be on this train. That's at least Curtis's point of view. So the notion, the so Wilford's offer had to seem at least somewhat appealing on some level to him. And I think that Curtis was about to take him up on that offer, which yeah. is kind of ironic because the whole thing was that he, Curtis wanted to get up there. And wanted to overthrow Wilford so that yeah. he could change the system. And I think what I think that what Curtis realized at the end of the film was, I'm not going to be able. We're not going to be able to keep this train going 
and accomplish what I wanted to and change things. The only way it changes is if we destroy this. Yeah. And I think that that was kind of what was going on in Curtis's mind near the end was, okay, I either take over this person's place and we keep doing what we're doing um, and that's just the way it's going to be or everybody has to die because it's there's no way to you know keep this train in motion and change at the same time. Like it just those two things can't happen together. What I loved with Curtis though is that we had that moment where we learn about how um, Gilliam had actually ripped up ripped off his own arm and made that choice yeah. to stop Curtis from you know doing the wrong thing yeah. and how Curtis said, well, I can't rip my... I tried, but I could never rip my own arm off. And saving Timmy, his arm got ripped off. Yes. I, I thought that, that, that was that off. was a great arc for... Well, for Curtis, but also for Curtis's arm. You yeah. Know, it sort of... It, it actually was able to see... It's like, well, now I, I have I have the reason that I need to give this arm away. But yeah. he didn't... He couldn't necessarily see it. And that just reinforces what Gilliam said about him being a, a different person. Uh, before we... Uh, we try to interpret what the ending was, we have to obviously talk about uh, the character of Yona, who is Nam's daughter, uh, portrayed by uh, Goa Sung. At least I hope I got that right. And uh, I thought that uh, she was great. I mean, she's uh, largely, at least when we first see her, just sort of an ancillary character just with Nam. And then we start to kind of, you know, get to see, you know, she has questions. She's trying to figure things out. And uh, I think that, uh, I think she does a great job. And I, I really liked seeing them uh, work together. Uh, what did you think of her? And and well, just what did you think of her first? It. I love how they portray the train babies, as they yeah. call as they called them. Anyone actually born on the train. Um, I kind of assumed she would be. I didn't know what the ending was going to be. Yeah. But I kind of assumed that um, there was going to be some kind of major, you know, end moment with her where either her father didn't survive and she did or she died. Um, I was pretty convinced that there that all of them, except maybe Curtis, were going to die until a certain point. Yeah, but hey, I with, was with you. Yeah. With her, though, I, I also felt this sense of sadness because here's this 17-year-old girl who is, you know, kind of addicted to Cronall and she's never known any other life but the but being on a train and, you know, being sleeping in that one little, um, you know, incubator, whatever you want to call it, yeah, sleeping in that room with her dad, like so, she's never really known what it's like to really live. So uh, we basically focus on her after uh, after Nam's plan uh, derails the train in fairly spectacular passion, and we have both Nam and Timmy, who is uh, Tanya's daughter, who was. Basically, that's who Curtis gave his arm for was to you know get him out of the mechanism inside the engine of the train, and uh, you know they go outside and they they of course don't die instantly, so yeah. that'll tell you that they're you know not in uh, I don't know Antarctica I, I don't know, <laughs> where it is. You know so they you know they obviously have nice jackets which helps uh, we I was so I watched this with hubby Joe sure and we were both like okay apparently she had grabbed the jacket from someone but we yeah. were curious about. The, 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 the smaller size jacket, yeah, but we assume they went I, back and grabbed I, I it. I do wonder if that was, you know, like.
like an insert shot where they're like, do we really need that? Because, you know? <laughs> yeah, you, I know. I did think like, wait, that's – it's not like it's her dad's jacket just draped around him. You know, it's like, oh, no, that's a child-sized jacket. It looks like it who, fit perfectly yeah, for him. That? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, there was a tailor on the train, so maybe they had it made <laughs> and then they had, to, they had it delivered. Uh, so what do you think about as they walk off into the snow and they see the polar bear, uh, which I think was a, was a nice reveal? Um. So my thought was, one, I'm not convinced that the only survivors are the people that were on this train. Right. It, and, and the thing is, I understand polar bears, like, you know, obviously they have a fur coat. They are more equipped to bear uh, cooler temperatures. But what I'm assuming is that we had people on a train. There were probably shelters that did house other people. So I'm convinced that um, that Timmy and Yona are not the last two survivors of the human race. But two, I do think that it is ending on a hopeful note, um, even though there is a polar bear, and yeah. uh, that may mean other polar bears and might mean their death. Just, but <laughs> No, but it just might be, you know, just other other people in general. And I, I thought the uh, polar bear actually has sort of, it has a, actually has an expression of like, what are these? Yeah. You know, I've just never seen people. So I, I, I don't know. I thought that, uh, that that was cool. Uh, finished that thought. And I wanted to talk about awards before we run out of time. No, I'm just going to add to that. Um, so yeah, I do. I do think generally speaking, um, it ends on a on kind of a happy note that uh, it doesn't. But I think the ultimate message wasn't so much of the was was one that yes, the human race is going to survive. But two, the message that it sometimes like we have to break a system in order to survive and that just because you're trapped on a train or trapped in a certain you know way of life does not mean that you are stuck there forever there is always a way to change it right um i i, I definitely agree with that i thought uh, it, it had a a nice sort of open ending where you know it's up to interpretation which i think is always fun for a movie because yeah. it's not like well this is definitely what happened it's like no because you have no idea where it goes from there and it uh, always makes it fun to talk about uh so talk a little bit in our final two minutes here about some of the uh, awards it uh, was nominated for, it did receive, and because uh, I know that you uh, had some notes on that. Yeah, so it looks like Snowpiercer uh, was not did not receive any American awards, but uh, it looks like they received the Grand Bell Award for Best Art Direction in 2013, um, the Blue Dragon Film Award for Best Art Direction, the Blue Dragon Film Award for Best Director, um, the uh, Bake Song Arts Award for Best Film Director in 2014, and then the Grand Bell Award for Best Editing in 2013. So yeah, did and, pretty well. You know, we talked about its $40 million budget and its uh, international box office is uh, $86 million, which, you know, if a, if <laughs> yeah. a Marvel movie opened at $86 million, they would uh, they would really, you know, hit panic over at Disney. But I think for a movie like this, that's great. Yeah. You know, and uh, so I think it uh, was received very well in that sense, too. Uh, what we always like to do when we do these, uh, these anatomy movies movies uh you know sort of does it live up to the hype this was it didn't have hype in a traditional way like a lot of the movies we've done are sort of like classics and we're just you know usually Alexa and I uh, have just been dumb enough to have not seen them uh but this I think is like oh you can see why this movie is so widely regarded and it's also not particularly old so it, it's not going to feel like uh, I don't know what they were thinking back then but uh, <laughs> what, did, what did you think about sort of the reputation this film has now that you've seen it 
It made me appreciate uh, Bong Joon-ho as a director sure. even more. And now I want to go out. I, I, like, I've, I haven't seen all of his movies. So now yeah. I want to just, like, go and binge everything yeah. that he's ever done. Um, but it, it made me appreciate him more as a director. Um, I also appreciated the cast and the way that everybody worked. It was definitely an ensemble piece. Yeah, it was a great ensemble piece. Yeah. I agree, yeah. And um, just the messages. And I appreciated all the hidden meetings and some of the meetings that weren't so hidden either. Yeah, no, no, no. It's uh, you know, it's there's a clear message at the middle and uh, you know at the center of of the entire crisis that they try to combat. We're in no way beaten over the head by it. You know, it's just sort of it's it's very apparent. Honestly, your save the planet uh, image that you talked about at the beginning of the show that's frozen over. That's kind of it. That's really what they're trying to say. And and it's like, well, then you get stuck on a train. Uh, Yeah, I thought it was great, and uh, I'm glad that I've seen it. And I uh, we well, I look forward to whatever we're going to see uh, next week. I'm not quite sure what movie we're going to watch next week. I don't know who my co-host will be. But in two weeks, Rachel will be back. Alexa will be back, and we'll be watching Stripes. But uh, that's two weeks. Uh, follow me on social media if you want to know what we are watching next week. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ChristianDMZ. And Rachel, where can people find you? You can find me on or on Twitter at Rach Goodman or on my author Instagram account at Rachel Radner Author. Uh, if you are a fan of Stumptown, uh, we do the after show on Wednesday nights. And I also am on the Young and the Restless after show panel and Doctor Who. And with Christian, we're on the Curb Your Enthusiasm panel, too. And uh, final shameless plug, Thursday at 9 p.m. Pacific will be the first after show for Star Trek Picard. We'll be oh. reacting to the series premiere. So look for that Thursdays at 9. Uh, it will be myself and the entire panel from Star Trek Discovery. Anyway, that's all the time we have now. Uh, until next week, we uh, will see you at the movies. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.